Hello, Lions of Liberty fans. And you know, one great way to start out your day is with a shot of whiskey. But if you're not an alcoholic, the next best way to start your day is with an amazing cup of coffee. And now you can order coffee, delicious coffee, and also support the Lions of Liberty. We have partnered with Anarcho Coffee to create our own brand of coffee known as the Morning Roar. And let me tell you, this coffee is delicious. I am saying that as someone who just drank two cups of it before I recorded this pre-roll. So I can tell you, I'm a little hyped up, and I just had some delicious coffee. And I'd like you to be able to start your day the same way. So I want you to head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. You get a 10% discount with your very first order. And if you join the Lions of Liberty Pride for $10 or more per month, which you can do over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty, you will then get a permanent 15% discount on all future orders. And you're going to want future orders after you try this, let me tell you. But first, give it a shot. Head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee and start your day with a morning roar. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Friends, and welcome back to the 402nd edition of this flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, where you find me every single Monday hosting interviews like you're going to hear today, hosting debates like you heard the last couple of weeks. I've gotten a great response for my debate between a Marxist professor, Dr. Richard Wolf, and our friend Anthony Samaroff. We're hoping to do a part two, and I'm trying to arrange that as we speak. If you missed that one, you're going to want to be sure to tick back in your podcast feed and check that one out. But the fun doesn't stop with me, my friends. Now I have my fellow Lions here with me on the Lions of Liberty podcast feed, including Brian McWilliams every single Wednesday, slapping you upside the head with his ranting and raving about everything comedy, culture, and Liberty every single Wednesday on Electric Liberty Land, while John Odermatt wraps things up every Friday with his hard-hitting and inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. You get all three of these shows every single week, free of charge here at Lions of Liberty. All you gotta do is hit that subscribe button on your podcatcher, however you listen to these shows. And if that's not enough, you can get loads and loads of bonus audio content by joining our Patreon. Joining the Lions of Liberty Pride, you can find more information about that over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty for as little as $5 a month. You get loads and loads and loads of great content from your friends here at Lions of Liberty. But enough about us. Let's bring in today's guest. All right, with me now is the host of the frequently mentioned on this show, Freeman Beyond the Wall podcast. He is the former Mance Raider and the current Pete Raymond. Pete, welcome back. Are you ready to roar, first of all? <laughs> oh, most certainly. What's going on, Mark? You know, I, I always ask my guests if they're ready to roar, but for you, I almost glossed over it just because I know you roar. I know you roar three days a week on your podcast. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's one thing I wanted to ask you about, Pete, because you have been pumping out podcasts. I mean, just left and right uh, three days a week. And, you know, sometimes I stress about just getting my one show out every single Monday here. So what is your secret? What is your secret to pumping out three podcasts a week very consistently as well as, you know, I know you're doing bonus content for your Patreon as well. Uh, you know, it's really weird. Like, I would say a week ago, Monday, I had two interviews scheduled. So I knew what my Wednesday was going to be. I just released my Monday. I knew what my Wednesday was going to be. I had no idea what my Friday was going to be. No idea what what I was going to release today. 
<laughs> and within the span of 48 hours, I had booked six interviews. It's funny how it works. Yeah, it's just, you know, you're like, OK, I, I'm going to do a solo episode because um, I don't really have any interviews scheduled. So, you know, I'll talk about something you know horrible that's going on in the world. And all of a sudden, just, you know, one after another, you know, just all these interviews. And um, yeah, like right now, I'm if all of my interviews go good this week, I have interviews through next Friday. So. That's sort of the way that uh, guerrilla podcasting, I guess you might call it, kind of works. You know, you you sort of, you know you're going to have X amount of shows, X amount of days. You can only plan out so far in advance sometimes. And sometimes you try to get ahead, try to book a bunch of guests, and especially when you're first starting out. I mean, this is definitely the case for me when I first started my podcast. Sometimes I just could not get anybody to respond, and I'd be stressing. And then next thing you know, you get five emails <laughs> responding to old requests, and suddenly you have more than you can even handle, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to get ready for all these interviews. So it really is a, it's a very guerrilla environment. In the, in the podcasting world. Yeah. You know, once you're doing it for a while, you know, once you get into, I'm into today, I released episode, I think it's 261. And you're going to catch up to me at some point because you're doing three a week and I'm doing one. So you're getting ready to lap me like, like Steve Rogers in a, in, in winter soldier, lap the Falcon <laughs> but, on, uh, on your left. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it, it gets to the point where I'm, I rarely get turned down now. I got turned down recently by somebody and it was, it was a pretty big name and um, I was kind of disappointed, but you know, the explanation that the person gave me was pretty good. Um, I understood it. I just wish we didn't have to live in a world where, you know, people are like, Oh, you had Jeremy R. Hammond on to talk about um, the research he's done on vaccine injuries. And I, because, you know, I appear on, on Fox, it, this could, you know, this could damage my reputation or something like right. that because, you know, and it's just like, all right, that's cool. I mean, I, I appreciate I what to, you, if I had to think about the other guests that have been on every show I've been on, I mean, it's just a silly way to look at things. Yeah. I mean, I, I try it. I get asked to go on a lot of podcasts and I've gotten to the point now where I, I check the podcast, you know, I don't really want to go on, um, you know, some you know, all, you know, that's going to be leaning more towards, you know, build the wall, um, you know, race realist kind of thing. Cause you know, some of the podcasts I have no, I don't know who they are, but I'll talk to anybody because, you know, you never know who you're, you never know who's going to hear it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, under, <clears throat> I understand that, but for that one, for, for, for that using that one as an excuse was to me was just, um, maybe just finding an excuse to, you know, not want to do it. Gotcha. Well, speaking of uh, talking to other people, as you know, I recently hosted a little debate on this program, uh, something I've been trying to do a little bit more of, uh, between our friend Anthony Samaroff, great libertarian, uh, great speaker, great podcaster, and a gentleman by the name of Dr. Richard Wolf, a Marxist. Some of um, some of my commenters would put the economist part in quotes, but I won't I won't go there right now. <laughs> but uh, I know you were able to listen to that show, so I was wondering, as a from podcaster to podcaster, can I get your hot take on? Uh, I mean, obviously, I have an idea of of who you thought won it, but what's your hot take on just, I guess, more of the overall concept of doing this kind of thing where um, I, I guess you could say in some ways I am giving a voice to Marxism. I'm not really too concerned about any of my current listen, listeners sort of flipping the switch, but of just giving, I guess, um, giving a forum for these ideas to be discussed in a different way. 
I don't look at debates as win lose. I I don't think most debates are most people aren't debating to win or lose. They should be debating to get their ideas out there. And after listening to that, I don't think Richard Wolf has any ideas at all. I mean, I, none that I heard. Now he could be he could be a brilliant man, but I I saw no evidence of that. Um, I saw a lot of ad hominems. I saw a lot of red herrings. Um, I saw somebody equating, you know, having a job and, you know, having a contract with somebody to work for them and accept a certain amount of money compared to slavery. And that to me is just like the, it's the kind of argument that I would expect from some 19 year old purple haired female college student um, on Twitter. From someone starring in a, in a Ben Shapiro video. Yeah. I mean, I, I it, it, to me, it was a joke and I know that I believe that Gene Epstein has a debate scheduled against him. Yeah. at the Soho forum a little later this year. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm I'm going to go see, I, I saw one already this year. I'm, I'm definitely going to see one, the Dave Smith, uh, Nick Sarwalk one. I've already booked everything for that. And I'm probably going to go to one in December, but if, if seriously, it's like, it's gotten to the point where it's like, I want to go to every Soho forum <laughs> and I just can't do it. You know, <laughs> I'm jealous that it's so far away. I really got to plan my next New York trip around one of those. Well, there aren't they doing, did you go to the one, the West coast one? There that was he, one with a, yeah, I, I, actually that was a one night that I couldn't make it, but yeah, at least they, they did do one out here. So that's nice. Yeah. So hopefully they'll try to do that more out there. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I really want to be there for that to see if it's just the same garbage that was just that he put out. I mean, I was just, I was furious because I, on one hand I was furious because he just, it, it was a way it, it really, his side was a waste of time. Uh, on the other hand, I was happy because that is what I expect from a Marxist. That is the attitude that I expect to come from a Marxist. And I mean, he basically had the attitude where the tone of voice that he had was, I will put you in a gulag. I have no problem put you, putting you in a gulag. So I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that happened. I mean, he he made no points that made any sense whatsoever. Um Anthony, Anthony did a great job at, as usual. I just, I was, I was floored. I mean, I, I was just floored. I was expecting this, you know, intellectual, you know, somebody like, you know, somebody like Gene or somebody like, um, God, I don't, I don't, I don't, anything. I was expecting, you know, I wasn't expecting all this anger and just um, this rage. He's certainly passionate. I'll definitely give him that. I mean, he was, uh, you know, we were on video too. The video's up on YouTube. And um, he was visibly, I'm not going to say upset, but visibly getting fired up, I guess you might say. And I I got to give it credit to Anthony for not pushing back on, in the same way. He was very able to stay very calm. I mean, he might be the nicest human on the planet, but he's able to stay very calm and very nice and just listen to what he's saying and take it all in. And I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn just just from the approach. Um, to me, uh, me hosting a debate like that on this show, obviously the point isn't to really obviously I don't think either of them are going to change their positions and that, that has nothing to do with it but um, 
it's amazing, especially living out here in California, how many people do share Dr. Wolf's overall attitude. They might not... Um, they might not, you know, have the same, you know, breakdown from the exact Marxist point of view, but that I think the left has been so good at invading the culture and making some of these ideas seem normal. And uh, I really want to get to the basis and the root of where they come from. So I'm hoping we can at least um, some of the people that believe these ideas now and and you know hold them dearly might stumble upon this kind of thing and then hear the perspective of the very nice comment Anthony Samaroff and you know maybe think about things a little differently. Well, I was, I would expect an argument say if he would have went and talked about you know oh capitalism cannot capitalism historically can uh, you know is in concert with the government and then he'll start talking about you know like some of the sugar companies that went in the 1800s it went down to central america and basically enslaved um the people down there to work for them sure i'll talk about the horrors of of that calling that capitalism all day but he's talking about what I've done, what where I went to a company and I said, look, this is what I can do and this is how much I want to make. And then we bartered back and forth. And, you know, I know exactly I, I, I'm I'm lucky enough to know exactly what my output is on a monthly basis. So I can look and see what that that the, what the whole labor theory of value, what the company's making and what I'm making. But I signed a contract. And I said, I would work for this and I'm fulfilling that contract and they're fulfilling that contract. The check doesn't bounce. So what is the problem? I really liked Anthony's uh, analogy where it's not really an analogy. It's just an example, really. Like if he hires a plumber, you could say, yes, um, you know, the the plumber, he's exploiting the plumber for his labor and his skill and uh, what have you. But if the plumber, but the plumber is equally exploiting Anthony's need for a plumber and and his inability to handle the plumbing issues. So like any free exchange, like those who have dove into, you know, Mazesian economics and Austrian economics, you know, it's the, it's the exchange works on both ends. And it's proven by the fact that we make it. Uh, and and that, that's really, I, th- I thought his example was a very plain one that, that people could really see and, and understand. So hopefully I know both of them have offered to come back and uh, I see no reason not to do it again. I have gotten a lot of responses. A lot of people are unhappy with not the fact that I did it, just, you know, with the take of the guest. But anytime I see a lot of response from something, it doesn't need to be a positive response. It just needs to be a response. And I'm definitely getting a big response from this. So it's encouraging me to uh, to seek out the part two that both of them expressed, have expressed some interest in. Yeah, be interesting. I look forward to it. Alrighty, and uh, now this is the part where I'm going to warn everyone that we are going to be talking about Game of Thrones in a very, very deep detail in a few minutes, including spoilers of any and every episode that's ever happened. So if for some reason you are someone who is not caught up on Game of Thrones a, a week after the last episode has aired... I would recommend pausing very, very soon or getting ready to pause. But first, I wanted to ask you one more thing, Pete. And uh, I'm just kind of curious. Obviously, uh, this ties into our our Game of Thrones discussion. You know, when I first found your podcast, I had never seen Game of Thrones once. Uh, I had never heard of Mance Raider. I didn't even know you named yourself after a character from a show or that your, you know, Free Man Beyond the Wall, the name of your show was named after that. 
I knew none of this stuff. Um, and we'll get into a little bit more of why you specifically chose that that moniker and and the name of the title of the podcast. But I'm curious, since you have outed yourself, so to speak, uh, you no longer go by that pseudonym. Uh, you call yourself Pete Raymond now. Has anything changed for you uh, in the podcasting world or in your personal life? Are there some people in your life that maybe are now aware, more aware of your podcast than before you had your name out there? Um, just what are your overall thoughts on you know what the kind of changes or you might have experienced in the last few months since sort of you know. Putting yourself more out there personally. Eh, not really. I mean, I just <laughs> think that people. Um, I'm still surrounded by sadists. Yeah. And I, I had a couple people say that they were thankful that I wasn't hiding anymore. You know, that they, I think that some, a couple people took it as if I was using a pseudonym like that, I wasn't really that serious about what I was doing. And considering the episodes that I've put out, even like the first. 15 episodes of my podcast to believe I wasn't serious. I don't, I don't get it, but um, yeah, I mean, that really nothing. I mean, there's been no, no blowback, no one knocking on my door or anything like that. So keyword being uh, yet, no one knocking on your door yet. So we'll see. <laughs> don't, d- don't, don't do that. I'm that that's, hev- when you know, I'm, that's when you'll know you made it. Don't do that. I'm heavily armed. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> Bad idea, folks. Are you tired of banging your head against the proverbial wall of politics and getting nowhere toward actually making your life more free? Are you tired of interview podcasts that have the same guests as every other libertarian interview podcast out there? Are you tired of hearing the same news stories that you can hear on the mainstream media? Then you need to listen to The Lava Flow, where we don't do politics and we don't do the major stories that exist only to divide you. We talk about news that affects you and your freedom, and we work to find solutions that can actually help you to be more free. Check us out at thelavaflow.com. Listen to We Are Libertarians at wearelibertarians.com. My name is Chris Spengel, and I host a show where we talk about the stories you and your friends are talking about, and then we give you libertarian solutions so you sound smarter when you're talking to your friends. We're going to make you sound like a genius. Tune in now at wearelibertarians.com. Are those dry, boring, run-of-the-mill political talk shows putting you to sleep on your commute or at work? Are you ready for some fun? Look no further. Blast Off with Johnny Rocket is a Seattle-based podcast expressing viewpoints of free markets, voluntary exchange, badass music, wicked banner, and of course, drinking. The Blast Off doesn't shy from the truth, but always brings the party. Let's rock and roll, Raylene. Bring it on, Johnny. You can check us out at thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blastoff. Again, that's thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash blastoff. Launchpad Media. Always launching ideas in your direction. All right, so this is your final warning, everybody. If you care at all about being spoiled by Game of Thrones spoilers, stop right now. But otherwise, it's time to get right into it. And uh, Pete, I'm just curious, first of all, what first captured you about this show? And uh, why did you decide to choose the moniker of Mance Raider, a character in the show, I think? Um, obviously, if you haven't seen Game of Thrones, we're not going to be able to give you a full backstory on every storyline and every character. But we'll try to give you some of the basics of, of where and why some of these storylines and characters tie into to libertarian ideas or or could if you choose to interpret them that way as i often do 
when I heard it was coming out, I knew that there were books out already and I knew people who had read the books and I asked them about it. And I said, what do you think the show is going to be like? They're like, well, if it's anything like the books, it'll be amazing. And I said, well, basically what's the theme of the books? And they said, um, it's like a loose interpretation of the war of the roses Mm -hmm. and, you know, being somebody who likes to study, you know, read history uh, studies, a (laughs) study makes me seem like I'm in the library, but uh, somebody who likes to read history um, the War of the Roses was a very interesting time. I've watched other shows that were based on the War of the Roses, and uh, I've watched shows that were actually um, like the, um, God, I can't remember what that was, the, the White Queen or something like that. It was a British show. It was based on the War of the Roses. And um, so I was like, sure, you know, let me check this out and everything. And um, I was pretty much hooked from the first episode. Uh, it seemed like there was like it was a society where especially the people in the North uh, valued honor. And, you know, it just, I got, I got hooked pretty quick. I, what really attracts me and keeps me watching shows are the characters. So, you know, I think there are some amazing characters on there, you know, and then the first episode ending with Jamie pushing brand, you know, you know, a little kid out, out of a castle window it's like kind of hard not to come back to that i mean that that's one show that did such a great job of ending every episode with a hook or a surprise or a twist that that made you and luckily for me i was binge watching it so i actually got to immediately watch the next episode but it really made it difficult to get anything done during that time period i almost envy the fact that i i you know couldn't just wait a week in between because now i couldn't get anything done whatever day that I'm, I'm watching it, I had to just continue watching it. It really did suck me in. Um, why don't you explain the character of Mance Raider a little bit and why you chose that moniker initially? Well, Mance Raider was the, he used to be the, the head of the Night's, Wa- uh, the Night's Watch, and then he left and went to be with the Free Folks. And even though the Free Folk were, you know, violent people, there are, you know, if you, in the books, you'll you see that they'll, you know, come go to the other side of the wall and they'll attack a village, things like that. Um, I just thought the character of Mance Raider made the most sense to me. Probably the one I identified the most with, uh, I thought it was really interesting that when I was at Liberty forum in New Hampshire speaking in February, that I was on stage and at the end I took questions and somebody actually took, used their time, to say to me, now you 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 know what happens to Mance Raider, right? <laughs> and I'm like, you mean he died for his principles? Do you have a problem with that in this libertarian audience? That that's a great response. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Oh, because well, that's I, a great response to me now, anyway. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> trying to be an you know an asshole at that time, but um, I just. I don't even remember what I said. I mean, the video hasn't come out yet, and I I don't remember what I said. Not but, only did um, he stand up for his principles, but he was willing to literally be burned alive for them. Yeah, I, and apparently that's you know, I guess to some libertarians that's just fun. You know, it's humorous. You know, it's humorous to be willing to die for your principles. Uh, I, <laughs> I've I've had a lot of problems with 
some of the stuff I've seen some quote unquote libertarians and even anarchists saying lately. So I'm not going to get started. <laughs> There's many a rant. Maybe uh, we're going to do a little bonus show afterwards. So maybe we can set you off on one of those tangents <laughs> at that point. Uh, but I mean, and also when we talk about libertarian characters, I, I want to go through some of the characters that we think are sort of, I would say have libertarian tendency tendencies or libertarian qualities, because we have to remember, uh, especially for people that haven't seen the show, uh, this is a, a feudal world, a system of kings and queens, and every character that we're talking about uh, operates in that system in some way, shape, or form. Some of them rebel against it, of course, but for the most part, I mean, there, there's no such thing as libertarianism in, in this world. There's no Murray Rothbard, uh, you know, out there uh, spreading ideas. There's no Lions of Liberty, sadly. Uh, this is all any analysis about the quote unquote libertarianism of it is really just, I, I think, through our, our lens. I think many people won't see it through the same lens. Uh, I have no doubt that George R. Martin is probably not a libertarian, although, you know, I don't really know his political beliefs. I'm just kind of guessing that he's not putting out a secret libertarian sort of creed here. Uh, but there are definitely themes that you can pull out and characters that you can pull out. Uh, obviously, Mance Rayder sticks out as one. Just like you said, he's someone that he refused to bend the knee. He was told to bend the knee. I mean, he was even given what you might consider a pretty great deal by Stannis Baratheon, uh, considering they were essentially defeated by his army and had, had really no way to defeat his army. And uh, he said, the deal sounds great. You know, you're going to let us live here. They, they, they gave him an area of land they could live in. Um, but all you have to do is bend your knee and, and respect me as your king. And Mance Raider said, no, I, I won't do that. And he said, all you have to do is just literally just bend your knee and, and you get everything you want. Everything, you can live on the other side of the wall, which is really you know the whole point of the free folk at that point. They really just wanted to be on the other side of the wall and, and away from the Nightwalkers and to be a part of society or, or their own part of society, I, I guess I should say. Uh, they were given everything. And Mance Raider refused to the point that he literally just was burned alive for his beliefs uh, until, thankfully, Jon Snow ended his life uh, a little bit early. But, you know, well, you know what happens in the book, right? No. Mance, um, Mance isn't burned alive. Uh, Melisandre, um, I can't remember the character's name, Rattleshirt, um, does a spell and makes Rattleshirt look like Mance. So they think that they're... They think they're um, killing Mance, but they're oh. actually not. And actually the the very last thing in the very last book that George R. R. Martin wrote, um, Mance is in a really bad place. He's in a Bolton prison. Oh, that's not that's not where you want to be. Yeah. So <laughs> if, um, if but we don't like the Bolton but, we know. Yeah, but um we we don't uh we, we don't know where he's at until uh what's going on with him until George puts out the next book. <laughs> well that's good. That's good for uh I'd like to read the book someday, and uh, it's good to know that there's hope for, for old Mance in that one. But uh, I'm curious, Pete, who who stands out to you? Uh, again, in, in the context of this sort of feudal society that everyone lives in, who stands out to you besides Mance Raider as the most libertarian character or characters? Is there anyone that kind of sticks out in your mind? I think Tyrion is pretty obvious. He, he was top uh, of my list. To look at. I mean, he's he's an academic. He loves to read. He loves to drink. Yeah. Um, loves to do other things. <laughs> he and, likes um, to visit brothels and uh, participate. And, and he's not the saying that who that's what liber- things. Yeah, I'm not saying that's what what all libertarians do, but that is definitely the uh, you know, the stereo. People will throw that stereotype. He out does there. love some of the stereotype. And to be fair, yeah. I don't think the women in the Game of Thrones brothels are necessarily all there voluntarily. So I wouldn't <laughs> call them libertarian brothels. To be clear, <laughs> correct. But 
you know, when you look at when you look at someone like Tyrion, I mean, obviously he's not going to initiate force. Um, I mean, he was the hero of um, what the Battle of Blackwater. I believe. Battle of Blackwater, and you know that was just you know he knew that he was going to have to defend, and he did. You know, and what's even worse, I mean, in the show, you know, he basically gets a slash in the face. In the book, he loses his nose. So basically, he's a he's a goblin after that. Um, But yeah, Tyrion is, I think. It's probably the most obvious one if you were to look and um, you're going to do any better than Tyrion. He's a really interesting character because he he grew up in in a sense he's part of the establishment. He grew up in you know one of the most noble families, wealthiest families, the Lannisters. But at the same time, you know he's an he's an imp. He's a dwarf. He's uh, his father calls him a bastard even though he is his son, and you know he's very disrespected and and not seen as someone who could ever arise to any sort of position of prestige uh, within that society outside of just you know being a member of the family and. And, you know, getting the benefits of that, but he's someone who is placed in positions of power and never ever abused that power. In fact, he really is someone who tried to be as fair as possible. And I, I, I would say he probably advocated. He didn't advocate verbally in the, in the way we would, but he probably practiced the non-aggression principle as well as you could in in the in in that sort of system. Now he did at one point kill his ex-girlfriend, and <laughs> but in fairness, she had betrayed him <laughs> and was sleeping with her father. It's a whole, it's a very complicated story. But overall, uh, he's a character who always did the right thing. He defended uh, Sansa when she was being abused uh, by by King Joffrey, and that's a risky thing to do, even when he is uh, he was the hand of the king and had a lot of power. He literally, uh, you know ended the abuse from the king of, of a young girl and uh, that that is something he often did that k- kind of thing he would often stand up for what was right uh, regardless of knowing that he would face very poor consequences of it as he did uh, in the final episode where uh, after Daenerys had burned the entire city of King's Landing and uh, she called him out for betraying her which he technically did by freeing his brother Jamie and he his response to her was yes I freed my brother and you just burned an entire city <laughs> and then he, re- he resigned his position knowing that he would be you know sent into the gulag and eventually killed which he was not but you know that that was a, a definitely a reasonable fate that he had to expect from from doing that yeah I mean it, it was so, it's so funny that um that him bringing up her burning the city and you know, she bringing up betrayal. It's just like, you know, the conversations we see online when somebody's totally. like, Oh, you misgendered somebody. Oh, oh, <laughs> you're, it's like, you defend us. You're defending a system that's killed millions of people in the Middle East. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what's more important here? Yeah. It's, uh, it's very much the same kind of arguments libertarians end up making. Like you said, when we see these these silly arguments between Republicans and Democrats, and here we are just thinking both of these people are are literally not just advocating, but participating in murder and genocide around the globe right now. And we're arguing about the littlest, tiniest details of some you know obscure domestic policy here and there. And you guys aren't seeing the bigger picture where this entire system is destructive. I don't know if Tyrion necessarily sees that big picture, but uh, there, there's definitely a, a corollary to, to uh, how libertarians will try to point out the bigger atrocities that are going out there and, and sort of prioritize those over, you know, a little issue here or there, is, many issues of which wouldn't be issues if we didn't have this giant centralized system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I think Tyrion was... Con- 
throughout the whole you know, throughout the whole show, he was constantly he seemed to be the voice of reason and the conscience of the show. You know, I mean, even more so than Sam. Sam seemed to be like that sometimes, but Tyrion more so because you know he's really a main character. So, but um, yeah, he seemed to be the one who was constantly trying to bring people back back to reality. Right. You know, and then, yeah, and again, another corollary to, to us libertarians who are always trying to say, don't you just see <laughs> this is the way things are? And then we're mocked and ridiculed. And the more we talk about it, the more I really just see Tyrion overall uh, as a probably an unintentional corollary to libertarianism, just even from the fact that if you look at him on the surface, he looks ridiculous, doesn't look, you know, he's a tiny man. He doesn't look like someone that you would take seriously that would, you know, that would end up giving amazing, passionate speeches and be able to, be able to win things, people over with his words. I mean, that was the way Tyrion operated. Everything he did everything he accomplished was essentially because he was very good at words he was very good at telling stories and he always said and this is somewhat of a corollary to american politics i guess too that you know whoever wins the game of thrones is whoever tells the best stories and that is actually how politics operates i mean that that is how the president is chosen in a sense well i mean we can go into how presidents are quote-unquote chosen but when it when it comes to actual elections and what sways people i mean donald trump essentially told the best story he told the best story of how you know he saw the problems in america and he connected with the right amount of people in the right places that got him the right votes it's it's basically the same idea whoever wins that game of thrones is whoever can tell the best stories and convince those around him to do whatever to get them in power sometimes that whatever is you know murder and poison and treason in, in this society but i mean i think he is uh, as close to a libertarian character as you can get in this show um the next guy on my list of libertarian characters to discuss is it's probably a pretty obvious one uh essentially who i think is probably considered the main character you can make a strong argument that Tyrion is as well but that is of course john snow and uh i know he's the, he's the popular one he's the handsome one he's the one that uh is all too easy to like but there's for good reason because he is he's one of the well this past season, I didn't really like how Jon Snow was written a lot of the time because he 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 kind of became meek under Daenerys a little bit. And uh, but at the end, he ended up redeeming himself and I think realizing that he was being too weak and, and not strong enough, uh, not standing up for his principles the, the way he needed to. And of course, he eventually did by stabbing her through the chest with a, with a sword. Uh, again, there are spoilers here, so I really hope you people have seen either don't care about the show or have already seen it. Uh, but what do you think of Jon Snow and his uh, his libertarian cred, so to speak? Well, from watching the ending of the episode, it looks like Jon Snow's the new Mansurator. Exactly. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. Like, I, I, I may have been the first one to point that out. I don't know. I was, pre- I was pretty proud of going, oh, yeah, he's going to be with the free folks. Um, and you know, what's funny is he was head of the night's watch at one time, too. So it's like it. You know, the correlations there are great. Oh, it's um, almost an exact parallel in, in yeah. any ways. Yeah. Um, all right. John. Um, I mean, the show starts out and he's supposed to be like 15, 16 years old. I thought he was uh, so lame in that first season. You know, before yeah. you actually get, well, I really thought all the star kids were lame when the show first started. I'm like, oh, here's a bunch of noble kids, you know, shooting bows and arrows. Big deal. But they they really make you care about each and every one of them, especially John, as, as things go on. He seemed to change after he had that conversation up on the wall at at, uh, at Castle Black with, and he realized that uh, that Maester Aemon was uh, Targaryen. Right. Is like it seemed like his whole character changed at that point. Like he 
real life. He, he like saw the real world for what it was. But um, I mean, John's not somebody who's going to initiate force. I mean, he's a fighter. He's a warrior, obviously, but he's not going to initiate force against anybody, mm-hmm. um, especially for political purposes, because he has no political aspirations. The, cl- the closest you could say he ever came is when he was Lord Commander of the Night Watch and um you know, some people just wouldn't go along with his orders after he was made commander and he chopped their heads off. But uh, <laughs> but that yeah. was very within the context of the, the code and the you might even call it a contract that you have with the Night's Watch about how things are going to operate. Yeah. And then, you know, when he when he died and he was he came back, he basically had that whole attitude of that. That's it. I'm, I'm done. I fulfilled what I needed to fulfill and I'm out of here. Yep, it says you're supposed to be in the Night's Watch till you die. He died, and <laughs> there was no contract uh, clause about if what happens if you come back. So, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, and you know, he he always he's another one always wanted to do the right thing, and never he never seemed to be you know. And there's a lot of characters who um, want to do the right thing, and they saw the right thing as being evil. He never, in my estimation, he never saw anything that he wanted to do as evil and it doesn't seem like anything he wanted to do was evil. So yeah, definitely seemed to be, um, I don't know, maybe not on the level of Tyrion because Tyrion is just so much more intelligent. Tyrion is almost smart, smart Jon Snow in a way. I mean, they have similar morality, I think, but Tyrion also understands the system and knows how to play within it and, and is more than willing to play within it to achieve whatever he sees as the right ends, whereas Jon Snow will often do what might seem as the quote-unquote dumb thing just because he will just stick to his principles and do the right thing in, in any circumstance without really thinking it through necessarily. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Jon is a, is the next logical pick. Um, after that, it gets... Uh... <laughs> after that, it gets, it gets messier, for sure. Yeah, trying to find libertarians now. I mean, there, there's a group in there that... I don't we know. We talk if, about the wildlings overall. I don't know if that's who you're even referring to. But. Actually, I was thinking of the Brotherhood Without Banners. Oh, okay. The barracks group. Talk about and that I can't. Group, yeah. I can't remember the name of the other uh, the other brothers in that. But um, Barrack, the one who had been brought back to brought back to life like seven times. Right. Uh, brought back from the dead like seven times. Um, yeah, they basically were this group that was you know how every house has a banner. And uh, and a sigil. He's like, I don't want any part of that. They're like, I don't want any part of that. They're and almost they, like the wildlings that, but that operated within the kingdom in a, in a way. They're just not yeah. going to be a part of it, but they're they were a little more a part of it. And yeah, you know, they were. I would maybe consider them to be. Well, I won't call them agorists because if we want to, I, I think there's a a perfect uh, example of an agorist. Um, but um, Brotherhood Without Banners it just basically, look, I, we just want to be left alone. And um, that, that's not 100% libertarian. They wouldn't, I don't think they could um, really explain why. But, you know, there there is some sense of, look, we just leave us alone kind of thing. Well, they, just they like literally sold sold uh, gentry to Melisandre. So we probably can't call him a liter- libertarian. But <laughs> yeah, well, that is pretty agorist. So. <laughs> I guess it's sort of it is agorist. You could say that. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I mean, d- definitely those guys and uh, you know, the wild th- wildlings, for obvious reasons, are sort of libertarian, even though they did, you know, yeah, raid the occasion of the village. You do what you got to do in, in a Game of Thrones world. You got to do what you got to do in Westeros. Uh, I'm curious about your thoughts on Arya. What are your thoughts on Arya through a libertarian lens? She, she did train to become assassin, an assassin, uh, but most of her kills, you could pretty much say, were in self-defense or, you know, against the right people, <laughs> you, could, you could say. Yeah, I know it's that that one seems like a tough one because I guess you can make the make the argument that she would I don't know somebody who's just she almost seems too eager at points to kill people. And I think a libertarian would struggle with that, especially even if it was, you know, I mean, I don't know if a libertarian, I don't know, even though if, you know, I think that people like Bob Murphy and even um, Walter Block would argue that the death penalty is probably not a, I know I definitely Bob Murphy would say is not a libertarian, a libertarian uh, act at all. You know, so yeah, that's that's a tough one with me. I mean, there's certain things she did, like when she killed the Night King. You can definitely say that's some some libertarian self defense in action right there. They're uh, in the process of destroying their whole, uh, not only just uh, their the North, but you know the world. So that's that's easily self defense. Uh, Littlefinger was given a very swift trial. <laughs> yeah, I'd that, say yeah. like a three sentence trial. Give him about one minute to defend himself. Now he was a terrible person and did bad things, but uh, you know she pretty much sum- summarily executed him. So I, I don't know how. You know, libertarian, we would call that, despite how much we might think he, you know, a character like that might quote unquote deserve it. Yeah. I think the, um, I, I think there's a lot, a lot of agorism in Game of Thrones. And I don't think that there's any better example than Braun. Ooh, Braun, yeah. Braun is just, I mean, tell and, us and, about Braun a little bit for those that aren't aware. Yeah. Braun is just basically, he, um, well, he was hired to when Jamie lost his hand, he was hired to, you know, work with Jamie so that Jamie could become proficient fighting again with just one hand. And he just basically ended up becoming a merc and, you know, Braun of the Blackwater. And it was he he, he wasn't going to fight at all unless he was getting paid. And um, I think in the ultimate irony, he ended up the Lord of Coin. I mean, it just, I mean, he would never do anything if there, if he wasn't getting paid and he ended up to be the, basically the secretary of the treasury. I think that's hilarious to me. It's pretty funny. And I mean, he was a a merc for hire, but as far, I mean, we have to assume he did a lot of, you know, unscrupulous things throughout his career. But as far as the character we saw in Game of Thrones, even though he, you might call him a little bit seedy and such, he, he was generally pretty honorable in how he operated with the characters we saw. He was extremely loyal to Tyrion, again, because he was getting paid um, and extremely, uh, I, I guess he wasn't necessarily loyal he was not. He wasn't loyal to anyone but money. But he had a certain sense of honor with within how he operated, and uh, he 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 was always willing to give uh, someone the chance to make a counteroffer. <laughs> well, if you remember when they were going to show in the previous season, they were going to show Cersei the uh, the White Walker, uh-huh. and he walks up there. Uh, Tyrion walks up there, and he sees Bronn, and then they start going back and forth, insulting each other. And then at the end, he's like, um, "It's good to see you, friend." And he's like, likewise, mm-hmm. uh, Bron. The the 
one of the funniest one of my favorite scenes of the final season is when Bronn finally catches up to um to Jamie and Tyrion in the north and he has and he you know he's basically been sent there to kill them and uh <laughs> And the speech he just gives and delivers, you have to go back and watch it. It's some of the it's some of the funniest stuff. He really the, like given some of the funniest lines there, and um, just the look on his face. He's just like he looks like he's half drunk and just half enraged. It's hilarious. It's a couple more characters, minor characters. I just want to touch on real quick. That uh, I mean, there's literally probably over a hundred nameable characters in the show, so there's no way we could possibly uh, analyze and break down them all. And and there's a lot more in the book. I'm um, sure. So yeah, a lot of the characters in the TV show are just basically amalgamations of three and right. four other characters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but one guy I'm, I'm curious about. This is someone who's who definitely evolved in, in the eyes of the viewer over the years. That is Sandor Clegane, known as the Hound. What are your thoughts on old Sandor? Yeah, he's this raging psychopath. <laughs> he's a raging psychopath for sure. Uh, but you know, he was—you can kind of understand. You know, that when he was very young, he had his face put into the fire, and <laughs> that—that's probably not the best way to start things off from a psychological perspective. But he is a character that, um, when we first get to know him, he's just you know straight up working for the king Robert Baratheon, and um, and you know he is one of the the Night's Guard or what have you, and he's he will carry out orders but at some point i think towards the end of season two he's also very afraid of fire um due to being thrown into the fire by uh, his brother the mountain when he was young but uh he does i think it was the end of season two where he basically gives up the the, the lifestyle in a sense or tries to anyway of being of battling for other people and he says i'm just gonna go live on my own or and get out of all this and ends up kind of teaming up with Arya, and uh they sort of become BFFs throughout the show, or they have a kind of a love-hate relationship, uh, you could say. But I think by the end of the show, or maybe not towards the very end, since he does end the show uh, in a literal death battle with his brother. Uh, but there is there is a point in the show where he kind of teams up. Uh, he was he was left for dead by Arya after he got into a, a huge battle with Brienne and was you know basically considered dead. But in that meantime, we find out that he joined this sect i think it was called the seven or something like a, that he, oh yeah yeah but um he also hooked up with the brotherhood without banners for a while yes that's right he, yeah. he rode with them for a bit so he's he's kind of i guess he's dabbled in uh, libertarianism you might you might say he, <laughs> well he you know he never seemed like he wasn't going to go into a town and just start killing people right exactly it was always he, he always seemed to be when he got violent it was in self-defense um, except with his brother. Just... And it, it, I mean, I know the fall killed him, but I think there was a certain irony in, into the fact that he fell into fire, too. Yeah, for sure. I did love that scene, I, even though the entire battle between uh, the Hound and the Mountain was completely contrived just because it was something fans wanted. Just it just was it was just cool. It just looked yeah. cool. It was visually cool. Um, you know, the Hound or the Mountain looked like a Darth Vader when when Luke yeah. ripped his helmet off and it was just ridiculous and awesome. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, I, I was happy with that. I, I wasn't disappointed at all. One more character I want to talk about, and um, it's, it's not necessarily one of the main characters, but he's been an important character throughout the show, and that's Varys. And uh, when the, when the <laughs> show first came out, I definitely I saw him almost as the same as Littlefinger because they are similar in many ways. They're both characters who just who. It, in many ways manipulate people around them 
And uh, but it, I think when as the show goes on and on, you realize more and more that while they might have similar methods to some extent, Littlefinger is only out for one thing. As he eventually does state, uh, he states many times, he has always pictured himself on the Iron Throne. Every single little thing and manipulation he does is so he can try to get on the Iron Throne. Whereas Varys has no desires to be king. Um, he has no desires to see any one king or the other, but he does want what is quote-unquote best for the realm. Now, you could take this a few ways. Uh, if you if you want to imagine Varys as a libertarian, he just wants, you know, the least tyrannical king. Or you could just imagine that he's, you know, a progressive who has his own vision of the world, and, you know, what, whatever his king he thinks is best is best. You could really interpret him a few ways, but I'm kind of wondering what your thoughts are on him and, and how his character developed over the seasons. Well, obviously, when when he was first introduced, he was to be introduced as a um, as a villain. He was to be presented as a villain, you know, somebody who had, you know, ears everywhere and knew everything that was going on. Um, obviously, in you know, we we get to find out that he was more loyal to. He became more loyal to Tyrion, uh, helped Tyrion escape after Tyrion killed his dad, and. You know, and Varys basically probably delivered the most libertarian line of the whole series when he said, um, you know, maybe the best person to rule is somebody who doesn't want to. Mm -hmm. And he does end up uh, getting that in a sense. It's not the person he had in mind. Yeah. And, yeah, I his demise was just awful, although I, I I don't know how much he would have suffered, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, being burned I, by dragon fire doesn't sound fun. I don't know how. I mean, I, I like to think it doesn't take long, but yeah, it still doesn't hope, seem like the way to go. I, I would hope it would be like instantaneous, but who knows? But um, yeah, and also, you know, after that, then Tyrion just realized that 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 was that was like the straw where Tyrion was just like, okay, this is this is not, probably not going to work out at all. Yeah, and again, going back to, to Tyrion, I mean, how many times did he? try to temper Daenerys and uh, convince her, you know, at least at the very least, just when the bells ring and they surrender, at least stop then, you know, because he knew she was going in there guns blazing with the dragon and uh, just ready to tear things down. And um, I think the char- the character of Daenerys is, is an interesting progression, but I think many people are almost forgetting that she was almost always a tyrant from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it's it, the only reason she never went full tyrant has had always begin been because of the advisors around her, uh, whether it was Joran Mormont or Masande uh, or eventually Tyrion and Varys, they were always basically talking her down from the ledge. From the very beginning of the show, she was saying she was going to take that throne uh, with fire and blood. Uh, In her mind, she was going to be a liberator in doing so, but that was a consistent trait of her character. So I think a lot of the criticism you see out there of of it being a flip, and I think that last season was rushed a bit, so it it might have seemed like more of a flip than it would have if they had fleshed it out a little more, but really it was entirely consistent with her character, and the second that that last voice of reason, those those few last voices, voices of reason were all gone. And within the span of two episodes, you lost Jorah Mormont. She saw Masande get killed. She no longer trusted Tyrion and she murdered Varys herself. So suddenly everyone reasonable around her was either dead or someone she wasn't listening to anymore. So it was, it almost only made sense for her to finally go too far and uh, mass murder civilians as she did in one of the, one of the last couple episodes, or I think that was the penultimate, the penultimate episode. Well, let me, let me just point out that Daenerys was always talking about, you know, oh, you know, I want to save people and everything. And there's that Mencken quote uh, where the 
the urge to save humanity is always, I can't remember what it is, but the urge to save humanity is always, um, is usually always a mask for wanting to rule it. Right. And yeah, I mean, it's because I, oh, I'm breaker of chains and bringing people out of slavery. And I mean, yeah, I brought a bunch of people out of slavery, just burned them. I mean, yeah. Just psychopath. Yeah, well, that's funny. There's, I mean, kind of like you're saying there. There is the one ep- the part of that last episode where John is still giving her one last chance to just become reasonable and say, "Okay, well, now that this is over, let's just not go burning cities anymore." And she basically says, "No, I'm definitely going to be doing this some more." Uh, and she said, "Well, well, what if people don't want to be freed? You know, because she she still sees herself as a liberator, even no matter how many people she kills along the way." And she said, "Well, they have no choice." And that was the moment when, you know, you could see that John Stone knew he had to kill her, gave her that last kiss and stabbed her through the chest. So, uh, but I, I'm curious what you thought as someone who's been with this for 10 years almost now. Uh, I, 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 for me, it's a six week journey and it's been a wild ride. But for you, you've been around for so long. I'm curious how you thought about the last episode or maybe just the last season overall, because I know a lot of longtime fans of the show who just don't don't like how everything played out. Well, I think probably the most important part of that whole show is uh, the last episode was what happened in the throne room. You know, I like the way they shot it where you didn't know who stabbed who. Hmm, yeah. For a second, it's like, okay, who's stabbing who? And um, obviously it was going to be John stabbing Daenerys, but it would have been, if George R. R. Martin was writing, it might have been the other way around. But um, we have to deal with those two Jagoffs who now are probably going to go and destroy Star Wars. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he saw what he had to do. I, I think the, the part that I really loved was when, uh, when Drogon just basically melted down the throne. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's a little bit of a logical stretch. Cause you have to think did Drogon really understand, you know, the politics and the symbolism, but yes. maybe he does. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Um, Tyrion had said, I can't remember when it was that dragons were really smart. And oh, so I, see, re- I must have missed that. that yeah. And he, re- and if you remember one time, um, Tyrion made a joke, uh, said something about, you know, as long as a dragon doesn't eat me and Drogon laughed. Oh, huh. yeah. They're, they're like, they're, they're exceptionally smart. I wanted to find out if John could be burned because he's a Targaryen and, you know, Daenerys is the unburned. I wanted to see if John could be burned, but um, basically the melting down of the throne. And my wife points it out on the introduction when they when they do that really cool introduction with uh, almost just like claymation sometimes. Yeah. When you when it came to the Iron Throne, the first five episodes, uh, you saw the the sigil of the House of uh, of Lannister above it, and at this last one. There was none. It was blank. Uh, And what's funny is it it ended up being blank because no, you know, no family took over. So, you know, that, that, that's rather interesting. But, I'm curious, um, how, what do you think about the uh, choice of just kind of installing Bran as king? And, and, and it was kind of a funny road to get there because along the way, there was a moment where I thought they were going to go a certain direction. Uh, I'm sure you had some, some thoughts at the time when Sam gets up and they're talking about how they're going to choose their <laughs> leaders. And Sam gets up and says, well, what if, you know, what if everybody got to choose? And he basically in, tries to invent democracy. And yeah. I totally thought they were just going to go with that. And then he basically gets laughed down and they, and they, 
just sit it right back down and move on. <laughs> yeah, that was I, I. I had I'm like, oh no, please don't do this. Oh no, oh no. And then everybody started laughing. I'm like, Phew. yeah. I don't think my coworkers understood why I found that so funny because we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. But I, I just like I la- I laughed. That was the a, a real laugh out loud moment for me during that show. Well, I have to say this, you know, and and I have the receipts to prove it. You know, I've been asked on numerous podcasts that I've been on and on my own show a couple times who I thought would end up on the throne. And I always said, I really don't know who would end up on the throne. But if it were me and I were to choose someone, it would be Bran. And I mean, I I called this one because I, I said, I want... If I'm going to have to have uh, a king, I want it to be somebody who is not thinking about themselves, somebody who can see the future, see the past, and somebody basically who, you know, is going to be benevolent. And, you know, the three-eyed raven is the picture of benevolence. And, you know, of course, you know, some people have have said um, if he can see the future and he can see the past, he could have stopped, you know, King's Landing from being burned to the ground and everything. So actually, I saw someone making the making the argument today that he's an evil monster because you know he knew that was going to happen and everything, and he allowed it to happen. But um, yeah, I mean, I I don't know if Three Eyed Raven powers work exactly that way though, because it's not like he's he's not benevolent. He has to sort of search for things, even when he was looking. You know, when Sam mentioned that, um, you know, the whole thing with John being really being Aegon Targaryen. Right. He, Bran didn't already know that. He had to go, you know, warg into that specific time and see it, and then he knew it. So I don't think he has a complete, but you know, a complete knowledge of the past, present, and future, especially the future. And they never really make it clear that he can actually just literally just see what happens in the future. There is one interesting element to that that whole thing, though. There's a, I think it was in the season right before the the battle with the the um, the Night King and the White Walkers. There's a scene where. Bran and Tyrion. Tyrion basically is like, "Hey, what's up? Let's talk." And they cut away, and you never see. They never yeah. explain what happened there. And in, in my fan fiction, that's where they not necessarily concoct this plan. I don't think it's necessarily a plan in that way, but I think there is some way where where Bran and Tyrion had an understanding. You know, I don't know if it's gonna if it's like in the sense of how exactly things were gonna play out, but that that basically things would end up where they were. And if you think about it. Tyrion won the Game of Thrones, essentially. Uh, if we're talking about the actual people who were playing it, in a way, uh, he's the king for all intents and purposes. Bran is the figurehead, but you know, in that one scene with the council, Bran's basically like, "All right, I'm going to go warg out and look for Drogon. You guys do do you know do ruling stuff." And then Tyrion's in charge. So it's, in a way, he sort of did win win the Game of Thrones. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you have to have a king, Tyrion wouldn't be wouldn't be so bad. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I. I I still think, you know, when you when you know the history of the Three-Eyed Raven and everything, uh, the Three-Eyed Raven is not in it for himself. You know, so um, it's I was happy. I was happy with that part of it. Um, I I don't know. I I wasn't as upset with this as everybody else seemed to be. Um, I think that people just have way too much invested in, sure. in, in their entertainment sometimes, you know, I, I, mean, like- I spent a week or two fan theorizing. I, I, I imagine if I spent years doing it, I, I might be more upset when my theories didn't play out exactly as I thought. Yeah. I mean, I liked the last episode, uh, the last season of Lost and I liked the last episode of Lost and same thing same, with Fringe and, um, you know, I I wasn't particularly a fan of like the last episode of Breaking Bad. I just thought it was too predictable. 
Um, that that was that that's what was going to happen. I mean, most of us had who talked about that show had figured out that something like that something like that was going to happen. Right. But um, yeah. I mean, I didn't I I, I didn't have a problem with it. Um, that's it. Really needs to be about ten episodes, though. Yeah, that's my biggest complaint. I, I don't have an issue with any of the the events that occurred in the last season. It just and and. D&D, as I believe that people call them now, uh, they basically said, yeah, we're sick of doing the show. We wanted to get done. So and they, they were I think they were actually offered to do 10 episodes or even eight. And they said, no, we can do it in six. So and yeah, some of them were longer. You could say it even adds up time wise to a 10 episode season. But, you know, things are just paced differently when they're by episode. And it could have it used a little more fleshing out, especially with how those first few seasons, there was just so much character development and it was, you know, took was over so much time that uh, it was really effective. Whereas a lot of this character development, even though to me it, it is all logical within the context of the story, it just was very, very rushed. You know, you could have used at least two more episodes, I'd say, but that's a minor complaint in the grand scheme of things to me. Yeah. I, I wish they would have like at the, um, the battle of the night King. I wish they would have killed a couple um, at that point, killed a couple of the main characters. Uh, instead of having a bunch of the main characters, you know, them all at the, you know, the attack on uh, on King's Landing. It's just, you know, it's just stuff that I would have. Although there was that one scene where Tyrion, and this could tie into to that scene with Bran as well, uh, but when they're, that scene when they're all drinking right before that battle, right before the Long Night battle, and uh, Tyrion just starts laughing. He's like, you know what? I kind of think we're all going to live. And every single person in that room lived. Not not to the end of the show, They all, but they all did live through that battle. It was uh, Jamie and Brienne and Davos and Podrick and um, Thormund. <laughs> every single yeah. one of them that did live through that. Yeah, that was pretty kind of cool. Interesting little... Interesting. There's just so many little tidbits in that show, but you know, I could go on about this show all day. Uh, I do want to get just your final thoughts on um, the entirety of Game of Thrones through a libertarian perspective. Do you think that there are really libertarian themes that are in this show, or are people like you and me just going to see what we want to see? Do you think George R. R. Martin has any libertarian tendencies that he was intentionally trying to inject into his books and also the show? Well, in order for me to say George R. R. Martin, I'd have to, uh, war, you have to warg into his mind. Like Brand. well, I'd have to leave out the last season cause he didn't have anything to do with it. Well, yeah, I think he actually, yeah. I mean, his book and his, the, the book stopped by the fourth season, I believe. And then he basically told, uh, told them how it was going to end and they sort of did it their own way. Yeah. But, um, I, nothing that I really see. I mean, I think we're reading a lot into it. Um, sure. in a, in a, a monarchical society, um, you know, being a libertarian is probably one of the most dangerous things that you can do, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, I just didn't, see, I mean, I saw it because, I mean, I can find, I can find libertarian themes in anything, you know, but, yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so, but if you, if you say that, you know, you know, Oh, we think, um, Korean is the most libertarian character. Well, I mean, you can point out, tons of stuff that he did that wasn't libertarian at all so oh, yeah, yeah for sure. i mean I, I think george R. R. martin is just your just a good old-fashioned status like you know most people and um but he puts you know put out a good product and it's entertaining and it you know helps people to forget about all the crap that's going on around them 
and it gives us podcast content. So yes, credit for that. Yes. (laughs) Well, well, Pete, it's been a blast talking to you as always. And I think you're going to stick around. We're going to do a little Patreon segment that uh, will be available for anyone who supports Lions of Liberty on Patreon or who supports Free Man Beyond the Wall on Patreon. Why don't I just let you uh, take a quick second and give everyone out there the full roundup. Of course, uh, everyone familiar with this show gets to hear my uh, my little ad read for you every single week here. But I want you to let everybody know where they can find your show and anything else you got coming up in the works. I believe you're involved in a little documentary as well that's coming up. Yeah. Uh, Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. I'm all the podcatchers, iTunes, Stitcher, anything you can find there. It's freemanbeyondthewall.com. Uh, by the time this comes out, I will have released an episode with G. Edward Griffin, which Sweet. everybody should check out because I it's mean, one of my is, very first guests on the show. He's he is awesome. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a a legend. A yeah. every libertarian. I mean, Ron Paul talks about creature from Jekyll Island. So, um, yep. So yeah, podcast and um, yeah, I'm working on a uh, myself and two people are working on a documentary where we're going to look at the whole history of government up until now. And then we're going to basically talk about what it would be like transitioning to a stateless society and what a stateless society would look like. And, you know, we've done, we've done a few uh, interviews um, that the president of Lieberland, uh, I think we interviewed Thaddeus Russell. We interviewed Eric July. It was all basically almost everything happened at Anarchopolco this year. Um, but we're getting ready to have a bunch more interviews and especially with Mises university coming up, uh, in July. So, uh, we're hoping to have it out by the end of the year. Of course that there's no way that's going to happen. So, um, I would be looking at next summer. Uh, for awesome. a release and we're looking at you know of course amazon video netflix everything should be uh, awesome yeah should be a good one hour you know looking at an hour and a half to hour and 45 minutes it sounds like something that's much needed because i, I think libertarians are awesome at the logic the reason um not so much the marketing sometimes and not so much i think one of the hardest things even for me to to discuss is you know how we get from here to there because that you know we can have a a grand vision for how things would be better but that's what people always say well how are you going to get there how are you going to get there so i'm glad that's something that you are uh, taking the time out to address in in a format that can hopefully reach a lot more people yeah, we just had to learn to relax and say, okay, it's gonna it's it's gonna happen in its own time. You know, yeah. when you're when the whole thing is going to be based on interviews, you know, tracking people down is the uh, definitely the hardest part. So um, it, it will happen. We um, we're constantly in contact and um, constantly writing and setting things up. But um, right now, I'm probably thinking next summer. Cool. Well, we'll definitely have you back on, uh, probably even before that, of course. But uh, you know, we'll have you back on to, uh, when that comes out for sure to to get the word out. All right. All right, Pete. It's been a blast talking to you. And again, if you want to hear a little more from me and Pete here, well, support at least one of us on Patreon. Hopefully, you support both of us. That that's the ideal. But you can support Lions of Liberty or Free Man Beyond the Wall on Patreon and get to hear a little bonus segment where we'll be we'll be taking questions from our supporters. Thanks a lot, Pete. Talk to you soon. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the great 
Pete Raymond. Be sure to check out, once again, Free Man Beyond the Wall. This guy pumps them out three days a week. Very, very impressive. As soon as you're done with your Lions of Liberty, of course, click on over to Pete every, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. What a great double whammy there. Three days a week. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you get a double dose of great libertarian content. And Pete did stick around after the show. We did a pretty extensive uh, Ask Me Anything, taking questions from both our uh, Patreon supporters. So Pete took some questions from the Lions of Liberty Pride, and I took some questions from uh, listeners and supporters of Freeman Beyond the Wall. So we had a blast with that one again. Check out our Patreon. Please head over to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. For as little as five bucks a month, you can engage with all this extra bonus content and know that you're helping us grow this show. And send us to Porkfest, where we'll be going at the end of the month, put on by our friends at the Free State Project and our good friend Roger Paxson of the Lava Flow Podcast. If you are heading to Porkfest, uh, you know, check us out. We'll be doing a number of podcasts. We'll be doing a live read of Brian McWilliams' special Do Nothing Man. If you're not familiar with that, well, you need to join the Lions of Liberty Pride. That is where those exclusive episodes are uh, released for our great supporters. But uh, there was a free one released. I will try to link to that one in today's show notes so you can check it out if you weren't able to do that. Again, today's show notes will be found at lionsofliberty.com dot com slash 402 and hey there are many ways to help us out even if you don't want to toss us a couple ducats every month you can share this program tell a friend about it post it on social media retweet it comment like all of this stuff helps us out and of course those five star ratings and excellent reviews on itunes are always huge so any way you can help us out we really do appreciate it even if it's just tuning in three days a week or even once a week heck not everybody has time to listen to everything i get how that is but you really should listen to us first. <laughs> That's all I got, my friends. Until Wednesday with Brian McWilliams. Until Friday with John Odermatt. And until next week. That's when I'll see you next. And I only have one more request of you, and that is to live long and live free. <laughs>